This is Cultural Debris with host Alan Cornett. Welcome back to the Cultural Debris Podcast. I continue to be touched by the kind words from many of you about the first two episodes. I recognize that not every episode will appeal to everyone equally. If you run across a topic or an episode that isn't your favorite, I hope you'll keep coming back. With the flotsam of cultural debris, you never know what may float by, and sometimes it's something unexpected. That said, I'm excited to share the interviews I've been able to record and thankful that such thoughtful individuals are willing to chat with me. If you've enjoyed cultural debris, I would appreciate you taking a moment to leave a five-star rating and if possible, a positive review. It helps others find the podcast. We've had a bit of a warm front swing through the bluegrass recently. I managed to plant a few dozen crocus bulbs in the yard in anticipation of spring. Still have some allium bulbs that need to get in the ground. There are many leaves from the giant oak tree in the yard to deal with, and I need to clear off the flower beds. I've also been working on a small stone path underneath the oak tree, Grass won't grow under it, so I'm creating a woodland bed. I planted a number of ferns from my parents' farm on it, and I'm also transplanting moss, which I'm hoping will create a carpet between the stones. I've become more convinced that keeping a garden is excellent spiritual work. It was man's first work. One of the things I'm committed to not discussing on cultural debris is partisan politics. There's more than enough of that out there if that's what you want. With that in mind, I share one of my favorite Wendell Berry poems, which is certainly also one of his shortest. It's called The Mad Farmer March. Berry writes, Instead of reading Chairman Mao, I think I'll go and milk my cow. Excellent advice for the would-be revolutionary. Another favorite quote from a writer probably rarely paired with Berry, P.J. O'Rourke, who wrote, Everybody wants to save the earth. Nobody wants to help mom do the dishes. More good would be accomplished in the world if everyone tended to their milking and dishwashing. At the time of this recording, Halloween is over and Thanksgiving is just around the corner. With that comes Advent and Christmas season. I'm normally someone who believes we should pump the brakes on Christmas until Thanksgiving, but 2020 has been such a slog, I think we need all the celebration that we can get. With that in mind, I welcome today's guest, Dr. Blake Scott Ball of Huntington College in Montgomery, Alabama. Dr. Ball is chair of the Department of History and Political Science at Huntington, and he has a forthcoming book from Oxford University Press titled Charlie Brown's America, The Popular Politics of Peanuts. He and I chat specifically about the Peanuts holiday specials, particularly the iconic A Charlie Brown Christmas. I hope it helps put you in the holiday spirit. Blake Scott Ball, welcome to Cultural Debris. Thank you. Glad to be here. It's great to have you and uh, a happy holidays to you. Thank you. Same I, I to feel, you. <laughs> I feel like that uh, Charles Schultz wouldn't have liked a happy holidays greeting. <laughs> right. <laughs> right. Yeah. That's that's uh, that's a little uh, uh, 
you know, if if we're gonna if we're gonna have the holiday, we might as well, you know, we might as well name it. Right, right. We're gonna <laughs> identify it here, but uh, but we're we're kind of in that amorphous uh, peanuts holiday special season that runs from from kind of the Great Pumpkin at the end of <laughs> October mm-hmm. through Linus uh, giving his um, giving his speech on the stage right. in uh, in in the, the Christmas pageant. So. Uh, so we'll 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 run with it for now. You you have a book coming out uh, called Charlie Brown's America from Oxford University Press. Yes. And uh, when when is that book going to be released? Uh, the release date is uh, May May fourth um, is the is the release. I think it should be um, uh, should be out everywhere by by june is the is the plan by june one but but folks can pre-order can you pre-order from amazon yes, at this yes point? that's so, right you can pre-order at amazon right. or uh or at oxford university press website so if somebody wanted to give that as a christmas present mm-hmm. for for later in the year that would be perfectly fine absolutely <laughs> just give them an IOU under the That's Christmas right. tree. Yeah, it's, it's going to be it's the gift that keeps on giving. So, did you grow up watching the the Peanuts uh, holiday specials? Yes, I did. Um, now, I have to I have to say that, uh, and I talk a bit about this in the in the book, uh, in the acknowledgments. You know, um, part of my intrigue with peanuts as a kid was the fact that I honestly didn't always get it. Um, when I watched the Christmas special, there were fun things about it, but it was also a lot slower and, uh, much more calm than say my, um, I, I'm an eighties kid. So my, my, uh, Ninja Turtles TV shows or, or He-Man or, or something like that there, you know, even, even Care Bears had, had more action (laughs) than than Charlie Brown. Um, and so there were a lot of times, you know, and it had this kind of subtle, uh, relaxed, uh, jazz music to it and thing. And, and so I would watch it sometimes and I would think, man, TV, TV for, uh, what would have been my parents' generation TV for my parents' generation it was was kind of was kind of dull <laughs> <laughs> but but it was also just um i i you know i would i would say that but there was something there was something deeper about it that that still held my attention still drew my interest despite the fact that it didn't have the flashy um uh, production necessarily of of more recent stuff that I was used to. Well, I I'm a little bit older than you, I think, and I, <laughs> I started I started watching uh, the uh, the Peanut specials just on, of course, regular broadcast television mm-hmm. in the would, would have been the '70s. I mm-hmm. I honestly, of course, they came out, uh, especially the, the Christmas and I guess the early specials came out. Mm-hmm prior to me being born or, you know, right. they were still, they weren't old at that point, but they, right. they were sort of a fixture, mm-hmm. but you would have to, you know, you'd have to schedule your time around. Okay. They're going to be, <laughs> they're showing this on Thursday night at eight. I've got to make sure that I've, I'm there to watch it. Cause we, you know, right. we didn't even have VCRs or anything like that right. at the time. But, 
but for me, you know, in mid to late seventies into the eighties, mm-hmm. uh, they really were kind of the defining uh, cartoon special. So I mm-hmm. always made sure that I watched those, and usually mm-hmm. my dad would watch them with me, and mm-hmm. uh, and you know you'd always get the big three in of the, <laughs> the, the Halloween uh, Halloween special, the the Thanksgiving special, and then the Christmas special. Right. Right. Yeah, they um yeah, they they were they were uh really incredible and I, and I think that uh I think that Charles Schultz would love to love to hear that that anecdote about uh, you sitting down with your dad to watch it because that's that's exactly the type of programming that that he was that that was the vision, something that in a time when media was um infiltrating the the american home in ways that it never never had quite before you know it, there was radio and there was newspaper but uh, but but television was kind of taking things to a new level um they schultz wanted to produce something that was still um entertaining and healthy and um encouraging to families that, that everybody in the family could enjoy. Now in October uh, of this year, 2020 was mm-hmm. the 70th anniversary of, of the comic strip uh, debuting back in 1950. That's right. So it's um, it really started as, as kind of a post-war uh, a post-war strip, a post-war idea. But then by the time, the Christmas special comes along in the mid sixties. You've got a, you've got a very different America in a lot of ways. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. They, you um, you know, Schultz was, uh, was a veteran himself in World War II. He spent three years in the army, um, uh, was drafted and it was a, um, like for many Americans, it was a very, uh, challenging, but formative time. And so by 1950, things are, um, there are a lot of things that were still kind of up in the air as far as um, really recovering from, uh, there, there are a lot of questions about are, are, we, are we really back on safe footing now that, now that um, uh, we're on the backside of the depression, we're on the backside of the war, but, you know, it, are can we get to uh, prosperity? There were still a lot of questions there. And of course, by '65, um, the country was enjoying, you know, one of the greatest kind of peace to, peacetime booms it had seen. And uh, and Charles Schultz himself was in a lot different place. He was uh, uh, he'd gone in that 15 years from uh, just uh, some uh, no name kid from. Uh, St. Paul uh, to a uh, increasingly um, uh, public celebrity, uh, artist celebrity. Um, he'd been in, you know, Time Magazine, Life Magazine, all, Reader's Digest, all the all the big um, uh, mainstream publications of the time, and and so. Uh, life was a lot different for for a lot of folks by 65, uh, indeed. 
let, let's go back to that that debut strip because mm-hmm. when you read it to to somebody who's of course <laughs> familiar with the with the later peanuts the sort of the peanut the classic peanuts of the 60s i guess mm-hmm. um mm-hmm. It, it's a little bit jarring uh, <laughs> as an introduction. Would would you mind describing that that initial that initial strip? Yeah. So so in that in that first strip, it was uh, it was October second, nineteen fifty, and in that debut strip, you have a little boy and a little girl sitting on uh, kind of the front uh, sidewalk step out in front of their house. Um, we don't get the name of the little boy and the little girl. We find out a couple of weeks later that that is a character name, uh, named Shermie and Patty. Um, and, uh, walking down the street is this little boy with no hair, big kind of football shaped round head. It wasn't perfectly circle yet. Um, and he's walking down the street, and the little boy says to the little girl, he says, here comes good old Charlie Brown. And Charlie Brown comes walking by, smiles, moves on along, and the boy says, yep, good old Charlie Brown. How I hate him. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so that that's that's definitely a line we weren't expecting. Right. Uh, at, at, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, um yeah, and in in a in a lot of ways it um it uh it defined kind of what uh what peanuts was really going to be uh at least in the 1950s. Um it is it is all about kind of um the this unexpected kind of quirk uh, the, you know, you kind of, uh, Schultz would kind of lead you in, in one direction. You think, uh, um, probably the greatest expression of this would come several years later with, uh, or a few years later with the, uh, uh, kicking the football scene. Right. But, right, but the, right. the whole point is the anticipation of, Oh, it's finally going to happen. He's going to do it. And then, Oh no, <laughs> that would, you know, a total different direction, which, um, which has become an iconic Right. An absolutely iconic uh, thing. And maybe right. the most iconic image of, of Peanuts. I can't think of anything more iconic than that. Yeah, absolutely. Um, yeah, the the uh, the football scene. In fact, uh, there was a there was a, a period of time um, by by the time I came along it. You know, I, I think there were some Peanuts fans who kind of uh, judged the changing of the seasons. It wasn't really fall until Charles Schultz did his uh, uh, Charlie <laughs> Brown kicking the football strip. <laughs> was that so? Was that something he would do every single year? Yeah, he um, he kind of he did it. It was just sort of a one-off thing. Um, I, I'm let me. I'm trying to remember. I, I want to say. I want to say the first time he did it was was early on 52 or 53. Um, so pretty early on, uh, he did it kind of off and on there for uh, for a couple of years. And then there was a break and he came back to it. And when he came back to it by the late 50s, early 60s, he kind of did it yearly. And, and he talked he talked in uh, one interview about um, how it kind of became a personal challenge. Like, how can I? What can be the twist this year on the on kicking the football? <laughs> um, so he he loved to he loved to um, 
uh, upset your expectations about about the ending. So going back to that first strip, mm-hmm. uh, and I mean, obviously Charlie Brown's recognizable, but different. Mm-hmm. Um, oh sure. The, but the the attitude towards Charlie Brown <laughs> is also recognizable, but different. I feel like. Um, sure. In what in what ways did the strip kind of hold to that idea, and in what ways did did it did it leave it behind? Yeah. Um. Yeah, I, th- I think I think your reading of that is 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 spot on. That that uh, is it, it becomes a a little clearer what the difference is as you as you start reading what Schultz was doing over the first few years um, early on in the strip. The interesting thing is that Charlie Brown in that period is really um, he's really more kind of a wisecracker kind of kid um he loves to play pranks on the girls there's a there's a whole um there's a whole series of strips in those first three years where charlie brown um would uh play some kind of prank on the girls and on um on either patty or violet were the two early girls and then as lucy came along um in uh 50 late 52 early 53 um uh she she kind of joins in but uh the the punchline of the strip would be whatever kind of wise cracking comment charlie brown would make as he's running away in the in the last panel and charlie brown was um was a more kind of um um wisecracking kind of character but he always had these elements of um there was always this element of kind of uh, loneliness to his character one of one of those early strips there's a um there's a scene where he calls um he he gets on the telephone and he rings the operator and he he says uh, hello operator and they answer. He says, "Yeah, uh, could you tell me a story?" <laughs> uh, and so there was always this kind of subtle loneliness to him. But he became um, he became more so that way. I, I saw uh, one uh, one uh, cultural uh, scholar a couple of years ago suggest a strip in. Uh, the mid fifties where Charlie Brown is over at Shermie's house and he sees that Shermie's got this for Christmas. He's gotten this huge uh, kind of spans all the way around the living room uh, train set and they're playing with it and laughing about it. And then Charlie Brown leaves and he, the final panel is him getting to his home and just this sad dejected face as he looks at the little bitty tiny circle uh, train train set that that he has, and kind of this sense of uh, uh, you know just just um, not not fully resentment, just just kind of uh, dejection of oh my mine's not as good as as Shermie's is, um, and so I would say that. Uh, as Charlie Brown kind of evolved, um, he 
kind of lost in the early 50s some of that wisecracker getting the upper hand on some of the other characters to becoming more of the um uh perpetual perpetual uh fail failure uh that way uh lucy lucy may be the one that did that to him um lucy would play him in checkers in the early 50s and the joke was lucy was uh lucy was the younger one but she would beat charlie brown in checkers and it got to the point to where she she, they celebrated her beating him for the 10,000th time in a row. <laughs> and, uh, but, but Charlie Brown kind of developed this knack for like coming up with a bright side to <laughs> getting beat again. And, and, uh, so that kind of seems to me where Charlie Brown sort of, um, sort of stoic embrace of, of his loserdom, uh, uh, c- comes about. So, so to what degree is Charlie Brown's character a reflection of Schultz himself? Mm. No, that's a that's a that's a great question, um, and it's a question that has has um, been. It was asked throughout Charles Schultz's career, and um, and is uh, been asked in. Uh, different books and articles about Charles Schultz. Um, there's certainly there's certainly a real sense in which um, Charles Schultz did feel the um, type of loneliness that he expressed in um, in Charlie Brown's character. There, uh, you know, very famously the the little red haired girl. Um, is is connected to a story of of a young lady that Charles Schultz did after uh, after he he worked with uh, after he came back from the war and um, they became uh, very close and very good friends and he ended up um, proposing to her and she turned him down and you know it was kind of one of those rejections of like we you know. Uh, we're really good friends and I, you know, but, uh, but I'm in love with this other guy. And so there definitely were elements there, but the, the really interesting thing is that there are elements of Schultz personality kind of spread across the characters. There are, there are times when Charles Schultz really personally, I think had some Lucy Van Pelt in him. (laughs) <laughs> or or some Linus or or some Schroeder, um, you know, just just leave me alone and let me focus on my art and nothing else in the world matters. And um, right. so, uh, in a in an interesting way, uh, Peanuts is is um, perhaps a uh, how, how might we put it, kind of a multiple expression of a singular personality. Right. I, well, I was I was going to bring up Linus because, uh, and we we'll talk about this as we mm-hmm. get into the into the Christmas special, uh, mm-hmm. particularly. But but you talk about uh, in your chapter on the special and on on kind of relig- the development of religion in mm-hmm. in uh, Charlie Brown that mm-hmm. Linus becomes the religious voice mm-hmm. for Schultz in mm-hmm. the strip. Mm-hmm. Yeah, ab- absolutely. Um, so. So from the uh, a lot of 
a lot of what we think of today as as the classic peanuts and the classic characters uh, were the characters as they were designed and as they existed by the time of of that uh, early '60s and and the Christmas special in in, in uh, 1965. But the interesting thing for for me in studying the comic strip was was finding that in that 15 years prior. As as we've sort of been alluding to here, Peanuts started as sort of a different thing. And in fact, many of what we think of today as the classic characters didn't exist early on. Uh, those were characters that were uh, that were born into the story. And so we see Lucy Van Pelt come in as a baby. We see uh, Linus come in as a baby. Sally comes in. Uh, Snoopy changes so much from just a regular stray dog in the neighborhood to actually becoming Charlie Brown's dog. And then slowly we start getting to hear some of Snoopy's thoughts. And then Snoopy starts standing up on his hind legs when he starts acting like a bunch of other characters and, and uh, so on and so forth until he becomes, you know, the, the show stealer that he was. Um, And the same happened with Linus. Linus comes into into the Peanuts world as um, as a very naive um, child who is looking to his older sister Lucy to help explain the world, and uh, she's she's not always much help, uh, but uh, but he is trying to figure out the world, and it seems by the late fifties that. Um, the thing that is starting to make the most sense for Linus is um, things that he learns uh, from Scripture. And there is, in many ways, by the early 60s, uh, Linus begins to become a sort of Bible scholar, as it were. And sometimes, you know, sometimes his interpretations uh, lack a lot to be desired, but sometimes... (laughs) Um, sometimes they're quite profound. And uh, for instance, one of my one of my favorite strips is an early 60s strip where uh, Lucy is looking out the window where it's framed to where we're kind of looking into the house through the window at, at Linus and Lucy. And Lucy looks out the window and it's pouring rain and she says, oh, my goodness, it's raining so much. It's it's going to it's going to flood the whole town. And. Linus says, well, actually, um, we know from the book of Genesis that uh, God promised to never flood the earth again after Noah. And Lucy says, thank you for saying that. That, I actually, that actually makes me feel a lot better. <laughs> and, <laughs> and, and Linus, the, the sort of uh, fourth panel, Linus says, good theology can be very reassuring. <laughs> and I think, wow, you know, what, what, a, what a statement. But, um, so, so yeah, Linus sort of evolves into this role, uh, expressing things that I think were really going on personally in in Schultz's life. He himself became very uh, religious after uh, after World War II. He's got he's got kind of a lot of questions about about the world and why life was going the way it had. His mother had had passed away just as he was. Um, being uh, uh, shipped off to the to the army, and um, 
So he's trying to make sense of the world, and he reaches out to the pastor uh, at, that had uh, done his mother's funeral because he didn't really know any other um, ministers. They had kind of been just just sort of nominally attended the Lutheran church when he was young. And so he starts reading the Bible and reading some commentaries and makes some Christian friends and um, becomes a a very personally uh, deep believer. Now, it didn't always translate into the strip um, there in the mid-50s, but uh, there, there's a turning point when Schultz goes um, on one of his trips to, his, uh, to sit with his uh, publisher. Uh, at the syndicate in uh, New York City, it just so happened that uh, Billy Graham was in town at Madison Square Garden uh, doing his uh, 1957 um, uh, crusade in New York City. And so Schultz actually got to attend one of the evenings of that crusade. And it had such a personal effect on him that he decided, you know, these things that have been influencing my life and changing my life personally, I need to find some ways professionally to not necessarily to preach to people, but, but to, but to acknowledge the truth as, as I see it. And, uh, and so Linus kind of became the conduit for expressing that part of of uh, Charles Schultz's life. Um, it starts off kind of rocky in, in the in the book chapter you're referring to. Uh, I discuss some early Christmas scenes in the comic strip where Linus and Lucy are involved in the school or the the local church um, uh, nativity pageant. And Linus would have a Bible verse that uh, from from Luke about the birth of Christ that he would have to quote, and in the whole strip would be about how nervous he was and he can't remember his line and this is going to be a disaster. And then it gets his turn and he rattles it off and he gets it word perfect, and he you know kind of the uh, the the moment saved and then he just passes out. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Uh, from from all the stress of it, but each year he got better and better and uh, more in in command of of these uh, biblical passages and until until of course uh, we get to uh, the scene in I, I believe it's around Christmas in 1964 where Linus actually does the scene where he he gives uh the story about uh from uh from Luke on uh the the real meaning of Christmas being the birth of of uh the savior Jesus Christ and and um that little strip becomes sort of the center centerpiece for that first holiday TV special that they do in in 65 You're listening the Cultural Debris Podcast. I am talking to Blake Scott Ball about the Peanuts, uh, origin of Peanuts, and also the Peanuts holiday special. So that's a that's a good transition then to talk about uh, that that first 
that first Christmas special because at that point we have what we now I guess recognize as kind of the, the codified central characters there mm-hmm. and mm-hmm. Um, and and Linus has has developed this religious voice mm-hmm. and into that then comes this opportunity to break into television mm-hmm. and uh, so kind of set the scene for how how that happened, if you would. In a lot of ways, Peanuts was born at a very opportune moment um, because uh, when it when it comes into existence in uh, in 1950, uh, TV is just getting off the ground. Um, it's not yet it's not yet clear what all TV can be, but it's but it's but it is clear that TV is uh, the future. And in a lot of ways, the peanut strip kind of grew up next to uh, television growing up as a as a nascent medium. And Charles Schultz got involved with uh, several different companies that that would uh, that would use uh, the peanuts characters for advertising. One of the earliest was uh, Eastman Kodak. Uh, that that used the peanuts characters for some advertisement brochures, teaching kids how to use. Um, it was supposed to be the super simple, user friendly camera called the brownie camera, um, and it was basically meant as kind of like a kind of like a one time use camera. Uh, you you'd take all your pictures through the roll, and then and then you would send it send it in uh, to uh, get things developed from it and they would replace the film for you. So through some of these um, uh, advertising deals, Peanuts had been uh, growing in its, in its notoriety uh, to the point to where by um, late 58, 59, Ford Motor Company decides to pick up peanuts in in its advertising because Ford in 1959 was moving to um a a pretty a pretty radical move at the time for American car makers they were they were releasing a compact car line uh the Ford Falcon and um they decided you know what better way to sort of to sort of illustrate this this new line going away from the big you know kind of highway sharks of of uh of the mid 50s what better way to advertise it than to associate it with these little quirky kid characters from peanuts and so that's that's what they do and so the first television animation for peanuts was actually some uh ford commercials and um, they illustrated the the characters. They uh, voiced them with children's voices to make it make it more kind of relatable and make it make it feel. In a lot of ways, I think they were going for the sincerity of of child voices, um, the innocence uh, of those voices. So um, so they did that. They also became a part of. Uh, Ford produced a or uh, sponsored a a TV hour called the the Tennessee uh, Tennessee Ernie Ford 
uh, TV hour or, or something like this, and and uh, the Peanuts characters were involved in the in the show introduction and and things like that. So um, so the the idea really gets it started in in this Ford ad campaign of the early '60s. In 1963, um, Lee Mendelson, who was a young uh, TV sort of uh, producer and documentarian. He'd done a he'd done a documentary about the Oakland A's baseball team that had involved uh, some jo- some joke that the Oakland A's had about uh, one of their players and Charlie Brown being sort of a Charlie Brown like character. And this gives Mendelssohn the idea of you know this peanuts thing's becoming kind of big. A lot of people are reading it. A lot of people talk about it in a lot of different venues. And so he contacts Charles Schultz and they end up doing a, a little documentary that he tried to sell to, uh, to the network stations called, uh, your good man, Charlie Schultz. And, um, and then they get the idea that this idea kind of formulates of, Hey, what if we, what if we tried to sell like a full on, animated tv special of of peanuts and so they reach out uh he reach out reaches out to to uh j walter thompson company which was um which if you if you uh, watch the Mad Men tv show you you uh you probably heard that was one of the competitors of of their uh the, the madison avenue firm there um and uh j walter thompson represented numerous massive uh, corporations in the U.S., including Coca-Cola. And so they, um, Lee Mendelson reaches out to Coca-Cola and to CBS. He's got a few different contacts. And he says, hey, um, what do y'all think about doing a uh, Charlie Brown Christmas special? And they talk about it. He kind of throws around a couple ideas. And they say, um, yeah, we, we love it. Uh, let's, yeah, let, we, let's do this. And, um, so then, <laughs> then Mendelssohn calls Charles Schultz and he says, uh, Hey, uh, Sparky, what are you doing this weekend? And he says, well, uh, you know, don't really have anything going on this weekend. Uh, what are you doing this weekend? And, and Lee Mendelssohn says, Oh, well, we're writing, the Charlie Brown Christmas special to which Charles <laughs> Schultz says, what is the Charlie Brown Christmas special? Uh, and um, so in a lot of ways, they're going to take what they learned from doing the, uh, from doing the, those TV, there's very short, you know, minute, minute long TV ads for uh, Ford Motor Company. And they're going to make it into a uh, full half hour television special. Uh, it's for Christmas, and from from the get go, uh, Charles Schultz decides, you know, if if we're gonna if we're gonna do this, we're not going to do we're not going to make something like every every other Christmas special where it's you know kind of mostly about the kind of consensus traditions of christmas and commercialism and things like that and and instead um if we're going to do this we should really get back to what is the heart of what christmas is about and so 
almost from from day one and i've 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 actually seen the original script they worked on they they type they would type up parts and they've cut and pasted this thing together and they cut it and pasted it uh hundreds of times literally it, trying to sort out the lines and the script how how this would work but from that first weekend uh the the nativity scene with with linus that is sort of the focal point that the whole thing is working around which to a lot of folks involved was was pretty controversial. If you look at Christmas television it, at the time, um, it was surprisingly non-religious. Uh, you would have people um, say very sort of very sort of innocuous prayers or blessings. Um, if you ever saw. Uh, you might see a priest. There would never be a mention of the Bible, never a mention of uh, Jesus explicitly. Oftentimes, Santa Claus, of course, played a much larger role in the story than uh, than anything explicitly religious. And so um, there was a real sense, if we think about the TV kind of media landscape at the time, there were three networks. And so the idea of media at the time was not what we have today where we want to kind of uh, stratify the audience and, and take a hard position in one direction or another so that we can build a core audience. Instead, it was how can we be as broadly appealing as possible? Um, that was the approach of of media, and so there were a lot of people that were um, both Mendelssohn and uh, some of the illustrators on the project, but also CBS executives, the Coca Cola sponsors, were all a bit concerned that being so explicitly religious could come to backfire uh, in the project that you might alienate more people than. Uh, then you bring in not because inter interestingly enough not because the not because too many people would would sort of push back against religion but um, for the fact that many people did not consider a television much less a cartoon on television to be the venue to discuss religion they thought it was um, um, Enter entertainment only kind of thing. Right, right. And and Schultz Schultz got a lot of letters from fans uh, as he as he started uh, incorporating more religion or having Linus quote scriptures. He would get he would get letters from fans, sometimes quite quite rude letters that would say, "Hey, we appreciate the fact that you're a Christian, but at the funny pages." is not a place to be quoting the scriptures. Uh, the, the scriptures are sacred, and it is frankly disrespectful uh, to include them in a, in a cartoon. Um, so there was, there was a lot of that attitude and a lot of concern that it would not, this would not go over very well. So there was a, there was a sense from, from the sincerely religious that he was essentially trivializing scripture by exactly exactly yep so he would have so he had that 
that attitude on one side and on the other side, <laughs> more of a secularizing force in, in popular culture. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so there, there definitely was, uh, there, there, there were broader cultural and, um, and political even movements that were driving Schultz concern. And in a lot of ways, um, you know, I think what ends up happening is that Charles Schultz is kind of going on his instinct of of uh, the things that are concerning him about the direction of sort of civil religion in in American culture by the mid '60s. Uh, he's going on his own personal instinct, but it just so happens that he was far from alone uh, in. Um, a growing number of religious and kind of culturally conservative Americans who were feeling that America, for all of its prosperity, was was heading in some concerning directions uh, when it came to the sort of public acknowledgement of of uh, any sort of Christian heritage in in American uh, history and. You know some of the big, um, some of the big events of this period. Of course, uh, this is this is a period um, where the Supreme Court is going to start getting involved in uh, issues that had long been kind of outside the purview of, certainly outside the purview of of uh, the uh, federal court, um, and and had largely been outside the the concern of of uh, the government issues like um, prayer in school or uh, Bible readings in in public schools. Um, Charles Schultz gets in, wades into this uh, situation with one strip uh, from 1963, where he has Sally Brown comes home and finds Charlie Brown uh, watching a TV program, and she. Uh, she whispers in Charlie Charlie Brown's ear that she has uh, she needs to tell him something, and so then they 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 sneak uh, across the across the house and they go and they climb back behind the couch and they're hiding behind the couch and she whispers to Charlie Brown, "We prayed in school today," and Charlie Brown has this shocked look on his face. Well, <laughs> uh, the scandal they they prayed in school and. There was a huge response to this um, from some surprising angles. Uh, people, uh, some of the people who felt, uh, "Hey, I am for school prayer, and you are trivializing this very serious situation uh, that that the court has now blocked our free pra- the free practice of religion in America." Uh, he got responses from folks who said who read that strip as. Uh, you know, here is Charles Schultz um, sort of quietly championing prayer in schools, and and uh, they uh, they celebrated the strip. Um, but then he would get letters from folks who felt that um, that Charles Schultz was making fun of the Supreme Court. Um, he got a, a letter in particular from from one of the attorneys that argued the case in front of the court 
uh, saying, hey, thank you. <laughs> thank you so much for, you know, for kind of framing this like it is this, uh, you know, this kind of ridiculous outrage that that's going on about this um, this court case. And so there were there were many different uh, readings of this. Of course, um, Schultz would would go on to tell us in some of his own writings that his perspective was uh, his perspective was very much that prayer should should be a private thing and that uh, we should be we should that Christians should be glad that it was sort of banned from schools because, you know, his point of view was how how can you know what what sort of prayer the teachers leading in the classroom, especially if that, if that, if they come from a different denomination or even a different religion from, uh, from the one you were teaching your kids. But, you know, that, that's an interesting perspective for him to have though, considering that he's actively promoting (laughs) his particular view, uh, in, in peanuts, not just simply through the, through the Christmas special, but Mm -hmm. in, in the comic strip on an ongoing basis. Yeah. Yeah, and, and it's you know it's it's interesting. Um, you can see in the way that that Schultz, oftentimes when when Schultz was making his most um, kind of uh, targeted points about religion or or about broader social or political issues, he oftentimes did not say explicitly to the reader, "Here's." what you should believe he would he would many times almost suggest it as a question mm-hmm. um or or he would he would quote a, a a scripture text that was meaningful to him but he wouldn't necessarily interpret the text right, right? to say here is how you should read it he was more saying hey maybe you should read this right <laughs> like um, yeah um, something to think about uh-huh was- exactly Exactly. So I think I think he he would have sort of drawn the line on on this feeling that um, that it is important to direct people to uh, he, he would he would do the same thing with uh, with important literature that he read. He, he would uh, he points uh, points readers many times to Tolstoy or to Dostoevsky and and other writers that he enjoyed. Um, but he um, he sort of drew the line at like dogmatically telling people here is the one right way uh, to think about this, and which interestingly enough left a whole lot of room for interpretation for his audience, and they let him hear it with the, <laughs> with their fan letters, uh, as I discuss in the book. Well, that that at least shows they were interested. Of Absolutely. <laughs> Absolutely. Yeah. He was in many ways, he was starting conversations um, Mm -hmm. and, and, uh, and his uh, audience engaged. So, so looking at the Christmas special, when it Mm -hmm. comes out, you have, Mm -hmm. I guess, network expectations or, or fears (laughs) Mm -hmm. versus the actual reception by the public. What Mm -hmm. compare those for us? Yeah. So, um, uh, in the in the fall of um, I, I would say um, late fall of '65, they do a screening for the executives, 
and the at CBS and uh, the the Coca Cola sponsors, and um, the immediate reaction from the executives, according to Mendelssohn and some of the others that were there at that screening, uh, the reaction was kind of a um, mild disappointment. Um, it was. It did not come across the way they they thought it would. They felt um, they were they were troubled by how uh, by the use of uh, explicitly quoting from scripture. They thought that that could be uh, problematic in a in a uh, for a network audience. Um, they were concerned furthermore about the kind of. Um, slow pace of it they felt it was a little slow paced uh for a children's uh program they uh didn't love the the jazz soundtrack they, I, I, I was i was going to ask you about the jazz soundtrack we'll talk about that in a minute yeah uh they they didn't love that well you know think about um if if we're going to think for comparisons how how they might have been thinking about it you know think about uh a uh animated disney film uh from the time or think about uh looney tunes how they would have you know all the excitement they drove through the music and uh even even when they would bring in classical pieces you know i can't get out of my head the uh, uh, kill the rabbit, kill the rabbit, yeah, sure. you know, um, and so kind of, uh, kind of thing. And so, uh, yeah, they felt it was very slow paced. They were also concerned. They were also concerned about, uh, the quality of the voice acting. Um, some of the children that, that they got because Schultz was pretty adamant. He wanted them, not just children actors, but children of the ages uh, that he kind of saw the characters, which meant for a character like Sally, the the voice actor was like four years old, and uh, and Mendelssohn said at times they were feeding the actors a word or even a syllable at a time to get to get them through oh, wow. some of the lines, and so um, all of this they they felt concerned that this was just kind of. Um, going to be a flop well it uh at this stage however um they've already put the money into it they've already produced it cbs had already started advertising for a a brand new peanuts special and so they decided uh they would run it and then it would be retired off into some film vault somewhere and and long forgotten after that but a strange thing happened um, over the next couple of days after it aired. Postcards and letters began coming in to, uh, to Coca-Cola headquarters and to the CBS uh, affiliates thanking the, uh, the companies for running a program and, and the the kind of consistent theme about this uh, of these messages was thank you for running a program that had the courage to to just come right out and say what christmas is about thank you thank you thank you when when 
is it coming on again? Because they they were, you know, they're all concerned. I have family members that didn't get to see this. I want them to see it. When's <laughs> it coming right. on again? Yeah, that was my concern as a kid growing up. If you missed it, you missed it. Right, you know? right. And so uh, this came out, um, this came out uh, early in the week. I, I can't remember if it was a Monday or a Tuesday night. By Friday of that week, CBS um, uh, was announcing by press release that they would they were going to run it again for the next Christmas, and that they had already contracted three more Peanuts Christmas specials. So within a week, it was a complete turnaround from from what the executives uh, sort of anticipated to what the audience declared they wanted. Um, and and again, I think the key was that Charles Schultz was really working from a place of just kind of personal instinct that this was this was significant to him he felt it was a gap missing in in American pop culture that uh, and, and he said you, you know essentially said we we've got this chance and if we if it's the only chance we get then we better make it a good one and uh, and he took a shot with what he believed and and as it turned out there was a there was an audience that was that was hungry for it. Well, and it and it's now, of course, become an iconic American Christmas television show slash movie. I guess. I mean, it's up there right. with "It's a Wonderful Life," that kind right. of thing, as far right. as the influence and impact that it's had. Yeah, it, yeah, it's almost hard to imagine a Christmas season without it. Well, I mean, I literally can't because my right. entire life I've I've watched it, and of course. Uh, when DVDs came out, I bought them and my kids grew up, you know, with me, with me making them watch it. Not that they gave a lot of fight, but they, right. you know, that like me, they think that that's part of, you know, that's part of the Christmas or holiday season. When the holidays right. come out, you pull out the peanuts, right. you pull out the peanuts video. I, I wanted to ask you, you alluded to it a moment ago. I wanted mm-hmm. to ask about the, um, about the jazz soundtrack, because mm-hmm. in a lot of ways it, it you really wouldn't expect I guess uh, Schultz maybe to be a big jazz guy. I mean, maybe he was, <laughs> and uh, you know, and, and it is an interesting choice because it's not children's music, mm-hmm. really, mm-hmm. right? Um, yeah, Schultz. Schultz very much appreciated um, music. Uh, now he was much more of a classical type guy himself and we can you can see that expressed in in schroeder uh in his his love for beethoven uh that is that is very much charles schultz uh there um because uh, schultz loved loved classical music uh he became a he became a big uh, music collector uh when he came home from uh from world war ii um, and, uh, and he had a friend, I can't, uh, I'm trying to remember. It was one of his coworkers at the, at the art school there in Minneapolis. He worked for, for a number of years. Um, uh, but, uh, one of his friends, they would have, um, kind of listening parties as, as different, uh, new recordings would come out. Uh, so he was very much a, a, a music fan. Um, not, not as much jazz. Jazz wasn't, uh, wasn't so much his thing. I really think the, um, 
the impetus for the jazz soundtrack came from came as much from Lee Mendelssohn. Now Schultz loved the idea of of doing some sort of some sort of kind of more serious music rather than kind of cartoonish uh, music, but or children's style music. So he liked the idea, but I think it was Mendelssohn who was uh, who particularly pursued Vince Guaraldi and and the trio to to do this piece and of course you know the music that 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 they came out that they came out with uh, quite honestly the the soundtrack to the to the television special it can stand in its own right as an American classic oh yeah absolutely um, I mean it's it's still played on all the all the Christmas stations mm-hmm. and- Mm-hmm. And you can always hear it, uh, right? Anytime, right? Well, and the and the piece, uh, the piece that uh, that everyone recognizes as the Charlie Brown song or Linus and Lucy, as it's as it's titled, you know, da 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 da, you know, that that piece. We don't we don't today think of it as a, as a piece of Christmas music, but that's where it came from. It came from, right. it came from the Christmas special. Uh, there's a great story of, uh, Vince Guaraldi, uh, who was, uh, who was also from the, uh, uh, Bay area, uh, there, uh, where near where Schultz lived up in Santa Rosa uh, or Sebastopol. Um, they, he, uh, Vince Guaraldi called, uh, Mendelssohn on the telephone one day and uh, says, "Hey, uh, you've got to you got to listen to this piece I just came up with. You got to listen to this melody." And uh, Mendelssohn said, "You know, the first time he heard it was from this, you know, ecstatic Garaldi hammer trying to hammer it out over the piano. He, you know, he could, he said I could, couldn't make out a whole lot of the kind of uh, quality of the music since it was over a telephone line, but." Uh, uh, but there was definitely a lot of excitement. They knew they they had uh, they had uh, had a hit um, with with that piece. So I, I want to venture off uh, onto the to the other specials to sure. just to touch on them. The you mentioned in your in your chapter about it sort of ties into the to the Christmas idea, or at least Schultz's idea of Christmas. Mm-hmm. That essentially the the great pumpkin was <laughs> was Schultz's sort of satirical lampooning of of Santa Claus, who, mm-hmm. who he did not like. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, so so initially, it, uh, you know, I, I mentioned that that Linus early on was this very naive character who Schultz would would use him to kind of ask questions about why the world is the way it is from the perspective of a child and um and oftentimes the one giving there would almost be this sort of little angel and little demon dynamic where where charlie brown would try to to tell linus the the reality of how things were and lucy would be arguing for some sort of her uh, kind of absurd, uh, uh, kind of counterfactual reading on why the world was the way it was, and and Linus was this confused child in the middle trying to f- make sense of it all. And so, 
so Schultz says that that the idea of the great pumpkin came from Linus getting confused about getting his holidays confused. And so he is um, he is looking forward to uh, to the great pumpkin coming. He's going to he's going to give he's going to bring presents, but he only brings presents to the uh, to the uh, people who who most who uh, most believe in him and who have the most sincere pumpkin patch in, in in all the world. And so Linus has this sort of just devotion and commitment of of uh, the most sincere uh, believer. And uh, he writes letters to the Great Pumpkin. Um, and and again and again, Charlie Brown and the other characters are trying to tell him like. Linus, the, the, there's no great pumpkin. That you've got it confused. This is, but he is he is insistent uh, that this is a real thing. Um, <laughs> there's a there's a strip that I that I talk about in in the book where where Schultz actually takes that idea even a step further. Um, he brings up he brings up the scene from this is after the Christmas special aired. He brings up the scene. Uh, from the Christmas special, and Linus once again quotes the passage from Luke to say this is what Christmas is about. And the punchline of that strip, Linus uh, says to Charlie Brown, so so see, Charlie Brown, that's what Christmas is all about. So who needs Santa Claus? <laughs> <laughs> and um, I, think, I think that uh, Schultz's biggest issue with um, with the whole Santa Claus idea uh, and, and the thing he was really trying to critique was this was this idea of th- this this attitude where we become so consumed with what am I going to get? What am I going to get? Um, even even you know sort of motivating children, hey, you better you better do the right thing because if you don't do the right thing, you won't get. From Santa Claus, right? Santa Claus, won't which come inspires to... one of the great lines from from Sally <laughs> right. in, in the Christmas special. You know, I, I just want what's coming to me. <laughs> right, right. <laughs> right, exactly, exactly. And um, and uh, Schultz Schultz didn't didn't see that as a um, uh, there. There's a lot of sarcasm packed into that uh, Sally Brown line. Uh, yeah, yeah, uh, yeah, I think so. <laughs> And so, so yeah, so that that plays into uh, that plays into the Halloween special, very very much this sort of uh, idea of belief and sincerity and naivete. Now, there's an interest. There's an interesting element to the to the Halloween special in that um, a full third of that special a full third of that special is the um snoopy as the flying ace yes pursuing yeah you're 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 anticipating my next question because this is one of my very well this is one of my very favorite parts of any of the specials Mm. which is snoopy behind enemy lines Mm -hmm. Mm um and it's it's in a lot of ways, such a bizarre thing to be in there. Mm-hmm. 
but it's fantastic. Oh yeah, yeah, absolutely. So it is. Um, yeah, it's it's this wild thing. And, and in fact, if you if you sit down and watch it, you sit down and watch it. It almost feels like it is sort of. You could almost cut it out of the middle of of the because it comes up in the middle. You almost take it out of the middle, and there's and there's still the rest of the story kind of carries on without it. Now, of course, it trend you know it transitions. He, he behind enemy lines, he makes his way into the he stumbles into the Halloween party, uh, you know. It, um, but um, but it's it in a lot of ways is this very kind of bizarre thing. Um, it's also one of the more kind of almost psychedelic sort of the um, coloring of the art in that mm -hmm. in that yes. section uh, when Snoopy is flying around on top of his doghouse and he's shooting and you see you see the doghouse get riddled with bullet holes and and uh, and the colors are kind of flashing white and red and blue and and you know uh these this real kind of uh almost strobe effect uh with the with the color and and the picture is kind of um uh tilting from side to side and uh doing some doing some really interesting things just from an art perspective now the thing that strikes me uh about this because of course in in my book I'm I'm interested in I'm interested in a lot of in a lot of ways. I, I call my book sort of a cultural biography of the of the Peanuts characters, sort of how how the world in which Charles Schultz uh, was living helped to create and inspire the the uh, the characters that that he developed. And um, I, I don't think it's coincidence at all that this that this um, very memorable, but also very bizarre kind of scene in the middle of this special is coming out in 1968 when, <laughs> right. the, when the biggest new, the biggest issue in the news is, is the Vietnam war and, and what is going on and what are we going to do about it? And how do we, you know, how do we get to a resolution in this, in this increasingly disruptive situation? Um, and so it, it, it really strikes me as, it, as a piece of art that there is this in in the midst of this. There's uh, this special. There's this disruption of the story of uh, you know uh, Snoopy being crashed behind enemy lines and and his Halloween. Um, while it's we know as an audience that it or we think you know think it's fantasy. It's all in his head, but but it's all too real for Snoopy. Um, right. Um, so it's uh, it's a very powerful comment on on I think how events in the broader world were rearing their head into everyday life uh, for for America in that period. Well, and of course, it, it's interesting to what and you mentioned this earlier about Snoopy being kind of a, a show stealer, which he, <laughs> he, he, you know, he very much is there. And of course, as a kid, you know, I, I loved Snoopy. I thought mm -hmm. Snoopy was was fantastic. So, <laughs> um, well, I, um, you know, like I said, for me, growing up, the 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 specials were defining moments of the holidays, real mm. markers for me. And of course, 
you know, you had to watch them when they were on or you, or you could see them. <laughs> now I, we have the luxury of having the DVDs, but, uh, but if we, anytime during the, during the holidays, if we get to a point where we've, for whatever reason, not gotten around to mm-hmm. watching them, mm-hmm. like the, the girls will start insisting that you know, well, we've got <laughs> to pull this out and watch it before the holiday. It's or, you know, it sort of doesn't count. So, <laughs> so I, I feel like I've done a good job raising them to uh <laughs> to appreciate the 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 peanut specials and really i mean the, you've got those three you've got the valentine's day special which mm-hmm. is which is also good but then there are those sort of i guess i consider them lesser specials <laughs> <laughs> that, that that come after those the right. easter's pretty good easter's not bad right but. right uh Charles uh, Charles Schultz joked at one point he said he said we we started we started doing one for, <laughs> we started doing one for every holiday we got to the point where um all we had left was Arbor Day <laughs> <laughs> so we did an Arbor Day special um uh yeah they they do uh many many specials um and and of of varying of varying degrees of uh, none of them really um I, I think ever kind of live up quite to those first three um christmas halloween and thanksgiving the very first one i ever saw uh one of my aunts gave it to me on a on a vhs tape when i was a kid it was uh it was called uh oh i can't remember it was it was one of the second it was one of the secondary ones yes yes it was it was a story where um where snoopy was going to get married um oh seems like i remember that uh, snoopy was going to get married and a big part of the story was his brother spike making the journey across country to come and be the best the best dog and and snoopy gets left at the altar and uh and I, I that was that was one of it was a very Snoopy centric story, mm-hmm. which is very interesting because of course Snoopy in the in the uh, in the programs doesn't speak and and there's no thought bubble so you can't get but they communicated so much through the animation about right. you know his emotion and and what he's thinking and um, and I remember it being. I, I as a as a little boy, I felt really bad for Snoopy. <laughs> the poor dog. That's um, right. Yeah. But, <laughs> he and of course, you know, another uh, another iconic uh, iconic figure in mm-hmm. in American culture. You can't, you know, you really can't imagine Snoopy not being Snoopy. Right. 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 Uh, um, you know, as as I as I suggested, he. Uh, Early on, Snoopy was a was a very different character. Um, But, you know, interestingly, I think uh, it the change with Snoopy really started with Snoopy's doghouse. Um, When Snoopy got uh, early on, Snoopy was just this seemed to be just this kind of stray dog that would follow Charlie Brown at times or follow some of the other kids. Uh, and then he, it became more clear that he was, uh, Schultz connected him to Charlie Brown. And then he got a, he got a dog house 
And there's a strip in the mid 50s where Charlie Brown's saying to one of his friends, seems like these days everybody's getting a TV antenna on top of their house and they walk past Snoopy's doghouse and he has a TV antenna. <laughs> and, uh, and that was where Snoopy really started to develop because then uh, Schultz started to develop this sort of, um, this sort of lore around Snoopy that, you know, from outside appearance, the doghouse was just this regular doghouse, but inside there was a, there was a pool room and there were works right. of <laughs> art hanging and there, you know, what's going these... on. <laughs> right. That's uh, like Woodstock's, uh, Woodstock's, uh, birdhouse. Right. Right. Yep. And so, and so Snoopy, Snoopy really grew and, uh, and in one interview, um, uh, later in life, uh, Schultz said, you know, by the, by the mid sixties, uh, and especially into the early seventies, uh, that Snoopy had become such a big character that he felt as an artist, he had to be, he had to almost fight Snoopy to keep him from overtaking the whole comic strip because it, he was just, his imagination was just bigger than life. Um, right. Right. And and it had the it had the danger at times of leaving the other characters behind who couldn't who didn't operate in that same space. Right. Um, yeah, because so, he was he, uh, he was he was on a different plane than everybody right, else. Really. Right. Right. Yeah. Well, Blake, I appreciate you talking with me about all of this. Um, I could. I could go on because we didn't even get a chance to talk very much about the Thanksgiving special, but we'll just have to let folks celebrate that one on their own this year. Um, Let, uh, let everybody know where they can find you on Twitter. Yes. um, My Twitter handle is uh, at BSB 1945. All right. So check out uh, Blake there and, and we uh, had potentially discussed talking about comic books some, but we're going to have to save that for another day. Uh, okay. I think, I think we probably got plenty to say about that for, for another episode sometime. <laughs> Absolutely. I appreciate you being on. Hey, thank you so much for having me. This was a blast, and, and uh, I'd, I'd love to carry on the conversation another day. All right. Have a good Thanksgiving and a Merry Christmas. You too, Alan. Merry Christmas. Merry Christmas.